Welcome to Barnyard Language. We are Katie and Arlene, an Iowa sheep farmer and an Ontario dairy farmer with six kids, two husbands, and a whole lot of chaos between us. Kick off your boots, reheat your coffee, and join us for some Barnyard Language, honest talk about running farms and raising families. In case your kids haven't already learned all the swears from being in the barn, it might be a good idea to put on some headphones or turn down the volume. While many of our guests are professionals, they aren't your professionals. If you need personalized advice, consult your people. So we may have updates that do not actually come from the house, the farm, or it'll probably involve the kids because I believe that they went along with her. Katie, what's new? What's going on? Arlene, hopefully this third attempt at recording this week's update will work now that we have fixed all our computer problems. And as I know you keep reminding me, this is an audio medium, but for our Patreon members, you can see this huge pile of papers that my children dumped out of their backpacks onto the floor of my office when I told them that they needed to pack up some toys for our adventure. They dumped everything from the last day of school out. There's something about the last day of school backpacks. (laughs) Every little scrap. I'm sure the teacher just dumps the desk into the backpack, which is fair. They don't want to deal with all the stuff, and there could be valuable treasures in there that the children don't want to lose. But yeah, last day of school backpacks are a whole thing. And as I think I've mentioned before, the girl child has a real tendency to make things at school and at daycare. She cuts out whole villages of small paper animals and accessories for these animals. And we're talking the animals themselves are less than two inches tall, so the accessories are even smaller. And she makes backgrounds and she makes houses, and it's astoundingly creative. But I have one of those uh, five-gallon totes that I just dump the contents of her bag into because I love all the little things, but I also don't want them floating loose around Yeah, it's house. just like confetti. Yes, basically. Anyway, they were packing all the toys because we this weekend, one of the very cool things in our area is the Circus World Museum in Baraboo, Wisconsin. Baraboo was the winter home of the Ringling Brothers Barnum and Bailey Circus for quite a few years, and the National Circus Museum is there. They also have a big top circus that performs daily Um, and at the end of this season they are retiring the elephants and the girl child was too afraid to ride the elephants last year and has been talking about riding the elephants at least a few times a week since the day we got home from visiting right yeah building herself up for this year yeah yeah but knowing that the elephants were retiring at the end of the year we decided to take the kids back this weekend had a great time went to a restaurant where the food was not great but the food comes on a model train to your table which was pretty dang yeah, cool delightful. which is good because it was real spendy yeah, but there was um, a train but it was neat and in the process of sending pictures of the restaurant to one of my cousins she mentioned that my one of my favorite aunts I don't want to get in trouble by declaring who's the favorite just in case family members are listening was also in Baraboo this weekend from Pennsylvania with one of her daughters and the grandkids which I was not aware of and so we got to see them on Sunday and we rode the elephant and we the girl child rode a circus pony and we got a ride in a golf cart and we got to go to the circus and did you actually ride an elephant and we came home I actually rode an elephant. It was very slow, very bumpy, very tall, and 
recently I found out that I've developed tendonitis in my hip, and I can say that riding elephants is not great for that situation. Okay. So um, keep that in mind next time the opportunity pres- presents itself. Yeah. Yes. That's good to know. Just on the off chance that any of our listeners are also dealing with hip tendonitis and are offered the opportunity for an elephant sure. ride. Yeah. You should still do it because it'll be cool, <laughs> yeah. but just be forewarned. Yeah, don't get into it professionally. some extra pain medication. Yes, yes, professional elephant riding. We came home. About how far away is it from we, you guys? Uh, it's about two and a half okay, hours. so long enough to stay over, and but it's, not like a gigantic yeah, expedition. Yeah. Baraboo is very close to the Wisconsin Dells, which is basically the Disney World of the Midwest. It's a small town that is now 90% water parks and escape rooms. And our hotel gave us a brochure with an incredibly creepy ad for a teenage magician who will come to your hotel room, which seems to me like probably the stuff that true crime podcasts are made of. Yeah. So you didn't book that. And this weekend, we got rain on Father's Day, but that was the first rain we had gotten since Mother's Day. So we got more rain this weekend, and we came home to our corn being pretty close to literally twice as tall as it was when we left on Saturday to when we came back on Sunday. So you could have stayed home and watched it grow instead of seeing a circus. Yeah. I'm not quite that boring yet. Like, I'm pretty close, but I'm not quite that boring yet. Other than that, the kids got to go to the pool twice this weekend because we were at a hotel. And they were home three days last week because daycare was closed. And then yesterday they got to go on a play date for a half day at a friend's house. So having to just go to their normal routine this morning was a little rough. Mm-hmm. was not as exciting as the last week has been. Yeah. But, not yeah. quite the attraction. How are things in your world, Arlene? Things are good. So the day we're recording is the last day of school for the my two that are still in elementary. So my tween and my eight-year-old are having their last day of school as we speak. And the teenagers are done. So I have one who is going to graduate from high school tomorrow. So that's a whole new thing for our family. So we can only get four seats for the graduation ceremony and we have we are lucky to have lots of living grandparents and she has siblings and cousins and aunts and uncles and all that kind of stuff so we ended up deciding that since they're live streaming the ceremony and it's likely to be hot and crowded and long that everyone except my husband and I are going to live stream it from my in-laws place and they're going to watch the ceremony there and then when she's done walking across the stage then they can chat and not have to sit in a folding chair in a high school cafeteria and the brothers can go play and all that kind of stuff and then we'll we will come and have lunch at their place afterwards so we're looking forward to that so I've been doing some menu planning my mother-in-law's doing some of the meal but I'm bringing a bunch of stuff as well so getting food ready and then this past weekend my daughter's boyfriend is also graduating from high school and he's actually moving back to his home province he had been here for a little over a year and his dad who he lived with ended up moving back to Quebec so he's moving away a couple hours almost three hours away so as anyone who has teenagers knows that is a pretty big change for a couple of teens who have been pretty much joined at the hip for a while and he's actually been doing a high school co-op placement with us so he's been working here on the farm with us and the last month or so has been living at my in-laws because his dad had already moved back they've been spending a lot of time together which is wonderful 
But yeah, so he's moving away. And so we had a goodbye party for him on the weekend. So that was nice. We got to have a bunch of his friends and people from 4-H and local families and people come to wish him well. So that was fun too. And it's always a good excuse to get things cleaned up and organized and all those types of things. So it was an outdoor party, which worked out well. We actually got a little bit of rain on the weekend, but not at party time. So that was good too, because my, my house is spacious for a big group, old farmhouses, right? There's, there's not like we have a big open concept zone for people to gather in. So yeah, party planning with larger groups gets a little complicated in old farmhouses. So I was glad that we were able to use the front porch and the driveway and all that kind of stuff and have people over and not feel like we were all in different rooms all the time. And beyond that, starting to talk about what we're going to do all summer. So talk of cow shows and things that people would like to do, making lots of trips to our local beach. There's a little beach in the town that's five minutes away. So we're really lucky that way and that we've got a close place to go and swim and our neighbors across the road very generously let us use their pool too. So these hot days, we've got places to cool off. So that's been nice. And it's something that they all still enjoy doing together, which is getting harder and harder to find as our ages stretch out. So did the did the boyfriend take his cow I with him or is she still? She has been sold. So she's not going with him and she's not oh. staying here. So we have one less jersey. But in the spring, we ended up acquiring a new one for a 4-H member. My daughter borrowed another one and the jersey that we bought for my daughter last year has had a calf. So we still have a few jerseys, but we'll only be, be milking one, which... I must admit, I'm not too upset about because his cow was a kicker and she was not my favorite. Kicking and flicking her tail really fast, yeah. which is obnoxious too. That is yeah. rude. And we don't trim tails because if, especially if they're going to get shown, you don't want to trim them back. They need to look beautiful, but it's a, definitely a pain when it, she's trying to flick you away with it and fling her feet in your direction at the same time. For any of our other non-dairy farmer listeners, one of the most surprising things I've ever seen was upon attending the World Dairy Expo in Madison, Wisconsin, finding out that they use, I don't know, what would you call them? Prosthetic tails? Yeah, they're kind of hair perhaps? extensions. I'm sure there's a real name for them. Like women yeah, use. But there the, was a... Yeah, tuck them yeah, in there. There was a whole line of them drying in a doorway, just hung on a clothesline mm-hmm. and having never seen such a thing, I was really quite sure. Yeah, yeah, they're like extensions and that they bulk up the volume. They're not, sometimes you're replacing a lot of hair, but sometimes it's just to yeah, give a little bit more fullness to maybe a cow that has lost some of her natural hair. Yeah, that uh, fitting of cows for showing, especially at the World Dairy Expo level, is really Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. For those of us who don't show animals and we're not aware. Yes. Yeah. And there's a, they have a competition there, that. too. That's really, yeah, really a big deal. I know that one of the herds that my daughter has worked for, they actually flag in, a guy in from Europe to do their fitting for their shows because it's that important to the people who to the people who it's important to. So it's, yeah. And when you're talking about that kind of money, mm-hmm. it's especially for breeding stock where you're potentially... Getting more than one sale. Yes, out of yeah, for sure. All right, should we bring on our guest for the? I think we should. 
Welcome to the podcast. Today we are so excited to be talking to Courtney Dehoff, who's a speaker, television personality, and is also a fancy lady cowgirl, which is both a mindset and a community that she has created. Courtney, on our podcast, we start each of our interviews with the same question, and this is a way to introduce yourself to our listeners. So we always ask, what are you growing? So for our farmers, that's usually crops and livestock, but it can also include careers, businesses, and all kinds of other stuff. Courtney, what are you growing? What am I growing? I'm growing a community, a community of like-minded women who are trying to live legendary lives. Like I always wanted so much more for my life and my story. And so through my community, Fancy Lady Cowgirl, I am just growing this space where women from all walks of life, I don't care if you're a farmer, I don't care if you've never been on a farmer ranch in your life, if you live in a big city, like everyone is welcoming. I am just, I guess, growing a That is the best kind of growth as far as we're concerned. That's one of the things we're trying to grow too. So I also heard that you might have a part in growing a bull. Is that another thing? Oh, yes. My my pride and joy. So yes, I am part owner of a PBR bucking bull named Top Dollar. I came onto the ownership team when he was a yearling. He's four this year. I came onto the ownership team, no, clueless. Like he had four legs. And I was like, okay, he's, he looks sound. Like I, I suppose he can buck. Katie and Laramie of Hook and W Ranch reached out to me because they saw me on TV with the PBR. So I was doing commentary work. And I knew a little bit, but I didn't really know much about bull, about the bull side, about the stock contractor side. And they reached out and they were like, hey, do you want to own a bucking bull? Katie messaged me on Instagram. I had no idea who she was. I was like, no crazy yeah, lady. Yeah, this sounds like, stay out of this my sounds like a scam. You are. That's how I remember the story. Yeah, that's how I remember the story. Katie's like, no, you responded and then you just ghosted us. <laughs> and so as the story goes, I became a bucking bull owner. But part of why I said yes, honestly, the whole reason really that I said yes, I asked Katie and Laramie, I said, why me? Like, why me? Of all the people who could own a bull, they said, because we want to show people that anyone from any walk of life can be a stock contractor. And we'd love for you to document it. Like we wanna show that women do have a place on the back of the bucking shoots because, and this is not a fault, but bull riding is a male dominated sport, right? Like it's men who ride bulls. There are some women, but not at the elite level. And so I was like, okay, like women empowerment, heck yes, through bull riding, that's an interesting angle, but let's see where it leads. And. It has been the most incredible journey. He made his PBR debut late last year. I nearly did not make it. I sat in the stands and I just thought, oh my gosh, I hope he does good. I hope he gives the rider a fair shot. I hope he doesn't embarrass the family. Like I hope he bucks. And he did so amazing. And his career has just taken off. This is his big year, his four-year-old year. He was in Madison Square Garden earlier this year in January. So it has just been so much fun. And now he has this, rabid fan base we're having to like keep the people at bay because they want to do meet and greets they're like where can we come and see you because he's really kind and he loves people and he loves little kids and he like goes to these big events and we they stall the bulls so you can see all of their heads and we're always like where is top dollar what's what pin do they have him in you can never tell because he's always sleeping he's always napping there's they're like testing the pyro top dollars napping it's like just been a really fun journey sorry i'm just picturing the or book ferdinand you know, with a totally chill <laughs> but he can't actually yeah. buck when it comes yeah. down to it court i feel like one of the big 
bad raps that rodeo gets is that these that the stock are treated so badly and i think especially at the elite level people really miss that they make a lot of money they're worth a lot of money and that they have fans of their own that they're not you're not going out like scooping up some bull from the back paddock of god knows where and horribly abusing it in some way they lead a pretty damn cushy life they do they're they're working for what eight seconds at a time yeah yeah they top dollar lives a better life than i do if we're being honest we are a hundred percent transparent and i actually just last week i'm not very good at TikTok. i just throw videos up and like hope for the best but i had this like inspiration i was like i'm gonna make a video about what really goes on behind the scenes do we make him buck no he's an american bucking bull which is a registered breed it's an inherent trait he loves what he does what does the flank rope do never touches his testicles which is a common misconception and all of these sort of misconceptions that are out there they were started by animal rights groups and animal rights groups have been pushing these false narratives for decades so i was like i'm gonna make a video about top dollar and i'm just gonna show people everything the flank what it's made out of how we put it on what does the stock contractor do what does he eat what does he weigh like what does he do in his off time and i posted one video and it had 900,000 views in the first night. And so I was like, oh, I'm gonna post another. So I've just been sharing these videos on TikTok. Now, unfortunately, my TikTok is no longer mine, it's top dollars. I post a video of me doing like a keynote or something, it gets 100 views. Top dollar, it's like a million. But I saw that in the comments over and over again. And it said, oh my gosh, we had no idea. We totally thought you were like, they were bucking because they are hurting because you guys are doing things to them. People don't know what they don't know. And what they do know are those narratives that animal rights groups have been pushing out literally for decades. I saw one comment that said, so did they used to tie up their testicles in bull riding? And I said, no. They never have. And groups like the PBR, the professional bull riders, there are incredibly strict animal welfare guidelines. Even the cowboy spurs, they have to be dull. There are so many things in place. And so I love it. I love teaching people about top dollar and what really goes on and how much he loves, he knows who his family is. Like he loves Katie and Laramie. And so it's just been, it's just been really fun to show that side because you don't necessarily, when you tune into CBS and you watch a bull riding, you see them buck for eight seconds and off they go. You don't get to see the behind the scenes. And I think it's not to be too crude about it, but if you have an intact animal that's worth that kind of money, the last thing you're going to do is endanger those balls because it's so true. they are a profit center and it is you're true. not going to put a rope around them. That's, yeah, <laughs> because you went there. I'm going to go there. One time Laramie said to me, he goes, I said, how do we explain it to people? And he said, the flank never is done up any tighter than a belt. It's just like how a person would wear a belt. And then he said, think about it, Courtney. He's you told it tied up any other males. What are we going to jump and run and move around? Or are we going to stand real still and not move? And I said, that's so true. If we were doing that, these bulls would not be bucking because it would hurt so bad. And to your point, that's the most prized possession of top dollars. So yeah, we're going to, we're going to take care of those bad boys. So what does he do in his off time? I envision bull ownership as being like a timeshare. You get a 
third of the bull? Do you get like the front half, the middle half, the back half? Do you get like four months a year? Like how does that work? That's a great question. So every partnership is different. That's the number one question I'm getting on on TikTok is how much does it cost to own a bucking bull? It's just like anything with a horse or any kind of animal. Every partnership's different. It depends on the breeding. It depends on the stock contractor that you're partnered with. So I do own a percentage. My percentage primarily means that I'm the stage mom. That's the side of top dollar that I get. I video everything. Katie videos everything. She sends me the videos because I'm not always with him. And then I edit little things together. But he lives at Katie and Laramie's place. He lives at Hook and W Ranch. I live in a high rise in downtown Dallas in this major city. So I don't have anywhere to keep top dollar, but I just did a video actually like top dollar has the weekend off. What's he doing? He's getting scratched, which is his favorite thing in the world. He loves scratches. He's napping, he's snacking and he digs holes. And I, my dad said, LOL, it's funny because he's not at our house. He digs holes in the pasture. Like I said, he's really hard on the, good thing he's cute because he's very hard on the landscaping, but he's just out in the pasture being a bull, doing what bulls do, sleeping, napping, eating. Occasionally, maybe he'll see a chiropractor if he needs it or a masseuse or it's just, he's living the life. So is he out? making little half dollars now or is that like his retirement plan no he already we're just getting into this bull situation we're not going to talk about anything else no it's a great i love talking about top dollars like my pride and joy yes there are top dollar babies on the ground already we have collected him and so he and he's been turned out on cows as well i think they turned him out on cows maybe during his three-year-old year a little bit so yeah, he's doing what bulls do, living he like really I said. He really is living the life. Yeah, he's living the life. <laughs> I do, I'm loving the idea of you bringing him home for a couple months a year, like to your high rise and your neighbors yeah. just you getting imagine. in the elevator with this huge ass people. So dairy farmer yeah. question. I right mean, we are often them. using sex semen because we want heifers. In, the, in your industry, are you using sex semen because you want bulls? That's a really good question. I, when we, when Katie and Laramie collected him, I don't believe that we, I don't know. That's a really good question because it would make a lot of sense to use sex semen. So the heifers, they will buck them like yearlings, two-year-olds a little bit, but once a bull matures, those heifers just can't compete, obviously. And it's all bulls that you see like at the elite level in the PBR. That's a really good question. I'll have to ask Katie and Laramie. Sometimes like I grew up raising Angus. So my family has a small Angus operation. And a lot of times people do use that sex semen to try to get heifers if they're in. We always wanted heifers because we showed heifers. But so, yeah, I don't have an answer. That's a good question. I would assume. Yeah, probably sure. Somebody out there is probably doing it somewhere. Sorry, now that we're talking women in sports, do you think we're going to see women coming into the rodeo arena? And I don't want to say harder classes because I've watched barrel racing and those women are plenty badass. But do you think we'll start seeing more women riding rough stock? I don't know. That's a really good question. So there are women who do ride bulls, who do ride rough stock, and there are associations that are built or made just for that. There's at the elite level, so I'm talking PBR, like when I say elite level, I'm talking the Unleash the Beast Tour, which is the top 50, 30 or so bull riders in the world. It's just... I don't, I'm trying, I don't want to get, I don't want to dig myself in a hole here because I'm the biggest like raw, raw women empowerment. You can do all things, but there's no way in hell I'm strong enough to ride top dollar. They're just physically, genetically, 
I don't think, I don't know if I could ever get to the point where I could be competitive with the men at the elite level. And that's not a slam against women. Like we're just built a little differently. But I think women in rodeo are definitely having a moment. You look at what's happening in the breakaway. They added it to the NFR. It's not in the Thomas and Mac, but like they have now a breakaway at the NFR during Las Vegas. You're seeing things like the American rodeo come in. You're talking million dollar purses. That was unheard of when I was in college coming up like through the college rodeo ranks and stuff. But it was like, if you wanted to be a professional and you wanted to make a living, you were a barrel racer. That was it. And now I tell you what, those breakaway ropers are making money. And I mean, it, they're making enough money at the top level to sustain themselves and to be able to actually make a living out of it. Because for a long time, breakaway wasn't necessarily something that was financially that you could justify doing it for a living. I don't know. As far as the rough stock though, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. But the way things are going with other timed events and stuff, I, it wouldn't surprise me. It seems like most most women I know also have too strong of a self-preservation to ride rough stock or bulls. Watching bull riders, they're fucking crazy. I mean, that's... <laughs> the yeah, there's no nice way to put it. Mm -hmm. Those guys are fucking crazy. There's... But for our non-rodeo listeners, breakaway is calf roping, right? Steer roping? Yeah, so essentially, so calf roping is what the men do. They rope a calf, they jump off and tie the calf down. Breakaway is the same thing, only the girls don't get off and tie the calf down. They literally rope a calf. It's The rope is tied to their saddle horn with a thin piece of string. It breaks off, and the minute that rope breaks off, they put the flag down. And these girls at the top level, well, my friend Kelsey Chase Domer now, who's one of the best in the world, just broke the arena record at San Antonio with a one, I don't even know, something stupid, like a one six. They are roping. I don't even know how you get out of the box fast enough to do that. So we're talking like sub two seconds, so fast. And I think it is cool to see women competing in more events because yeah, I'm 41. And even when I was watching rodeo at a college age, it was barrel racing before the guys came on. The event that was on while everybody went to get their beers. Yep. And it's awesome to see women getting to compete at a level where it's something people are watching and actually participating in. Yeah, absolutely. So where did you grow up and what is your background in egg? So I grew up in Kansas, in a small town in northeastern Kansas. My mom and dad had a small cow-calf operation, but I like to tell people I was just a little cowgirl. I was just a little cowgirl from Kansas, grew up riding horses, competed heavily in high school rodeo, eventually went to Oklahoma State where I was on the college rodeo team, and we also showed Angus cattle all over the country. So showed Angus heifers at all of the big shows and just had this really robust beautiful childhood that was centered around agriculture. Everything we did was centered around agriculture. So that's my background. My dad, we had crops. We farmed a little bit, but we would not probably call ourselves farmers. So we you were, talked we a little ranchers. bit already about what Fancy Lady Cowgirl is, but can you tell us a little bit about the inspiration behind it and what the background story is? Yeah, Fancy Lady Cowgirl has been a culmination of my 10-year journey. I graduated Oklahoma State and immediately got into television. I interned at a television station, wanted to be a TV host. I wanted to work in cities like New York, LA, Dallas. 
I wanted to work in these top American markets for mainstream networks. And when I first got into television, my first job, I was like interviewing cowboys. I was going to the Calgary Stampede and I was talking about rural America and agriculture. And when I left that job, I discovered that I needed an agent to help me get the next job. And all of the agents who would watch my tapes were like, you have talent, but what are you wearing on your head? Like the cowboy hat, you got to take that off. If people are going to take you seriously, if you seriously want to work in mainstream American television, they're going to think you're uneducated. I literally had someone tell me that if you wear your hat and your cowgirl boots. And I was young. I was like 23 years old, 24 years old. And I was like, okay, I guess I have to choose. I can be the cowgirl from Kansas or I can be the television host. And so for 10 years, I was the television host. And I put the cowboy hat away. I didn't talk about my background, my own co-hosts. They knew I grew up in Kansas, but I, they don't know, they didn't know what I had done or where I had come from really. And I was working in Dallas for a syndicated morning news show and there were wildfires that were ripping across parts of the Midwest and no mainstream outlet was talking about it. And this had been going on for three days. I was working for one of these media giants and I pitched the story to my executive producer because I thought this is a story worth telling. This could affect supply chain. This could affect grocery store prices. This is why people all over this country should care because it was a syndicated show. So it was national. And I'll never forget, she literally looked at me when she got the story pitch and she said, need I remind you, this is a real news network. Stop bringing me your little cowgirl problems. And that was about 10 years in and I'd had enough. Like I had worked so hard in my TV career. Television is a tough industry. It's volatile, it's fast paced. Everybody's out for themselves. And I was just beat down, I was tired. I had the fancy job title. I was working on a syndicated show, but I was just still feeling half full. Like something is missing. I've got the big fancy career and I'm getting to do the big fancy things and interview these cool people, but what's missing? And so I pitched that story. She blew it off. And I told the story anyway on my Facebook page. I was like, screw it. If you don't think it's newsworthy, like I'm going to post it on my Facebook page. And I thought if one person sees it. One person sees it. It's a story worth telling. And in one night, the video that I made telling this story was viewed one and a half million times. And I was like, oh, okay. So this isn't just a cowgirl problem. This isn't just a little agriculture problem. People do care what's happening in rural America. People are interested in agriculture. It's just like top dollar, like he's a perfect example. I threw up some videos on TikTok and people are invested. Their minds are blown. They're like, we had no idea. And so I started telling more and more stories like that in agriculture. People start asking me to come keynote speak in agriculture. I'm like, oh, this is awesome. Like I'm still getting to be a TV host, but I'm also speaking and doing things. But what agriculture didn't realize about me is that in the year and a half or so that I was telling these stories on my little social media account, I didn't have a big following at the time. I was living in Dallas and then I was living in New York City. What they didn't realize is that the cowgirl who was the voice for rural America wasn't living the cowgirl lifestyle, the stereotypical cowgirl lifestyle. And I posted a photo. I was headed to New York Fashion Week in this like fancy outfit. And I'll never forget the first message I got said, oh, we thought you were an actual cowgirl. The second one said, oh, all this time you're, you've been a fraud. And I was like, what the heck? This is agriculture. The community who was like, oh my gosh, this girl, where has she been? She's telling our story. She's fighting for us. She's showing up for us. The minute I didn't fit the part, the minute I didn't look the part or live the lifestyle, agriculture was like, bye girl. 
and they it was before canceling people was cool I was like I just I got canceled like looking back I'm like wow they tried to cancel me and so that's a very long story of how Fancy Lady Cowgirl was born to me. I got pissed off, essentially, is how it was born. And I thought, you know what? I have spent 10 years trying to be the blonde, perfect makeup, skinny girl on TV that the television industry wants me to be. And then I try to be the cowgirl that's, that I've always been. And I, I couldn't, I didn't measure up for either, right? And so I was like, I'm going to be both. I'm going to be a fancy lady and a cowgirl. And fancy lady cowgirl was really just a hashtag that I put on the bottom of a post where I was just saying, look, you can advocate for agriculture and live in the biggest cities in America. The hat on your head does not define you. The lifestyle you live doesn't matter. You can still be a part of this community and you can still tell agriculture stories and you can still help shift the narrative when it comes to agriculture. So that's a very long winded answer to your question, but that's the story of how fancy lady cowgirl was born. I think that's really great, Courtney. One of the quotes I came across recently was Dolly Parton said to figure out who you are and then do it on purpose. And mm -hmm. of all the people who just has been who she is and has been successful because of it, Dolly's definitely at the top of that list. So as an Iowan, I guess they don't have the Midwest in Canada is kind of my understanding. But how far west do we have to live to wear cowboy hats? Because Midwestern farmers, we don't have a style. Our style is like John Deere t-shirt, Wranglers maybe, hat we got at the feed store. It's not fun. It's I not was... inspirational. But it feels <laughs> weird to get all Western when you raise sheep and don't have horses and drive a tractor. So I'm wondering how we can have our own egg fashion moment here before we get into like back into more serious topics because yeah. it, it feels like a costume <laughs> and I feel like we need something but I don't know what that is I'm so glad that you asked this question because I want to challenge you I want to challenge everyone listening here is the thing about fancy lady cowgirl my sort of like motto is that anyone gets to it's not about the hat anyone can wear the hat right Wearing a cowboy hat or not wearing a cowboy hat doesn't make you a cowgirl, right? To me, there's I've created what I call the cowgirl code. And this cowgirl code is the seven sort of things, the seven steps to living a legendary life. Because that's what being a cowgirl is about. Being a cowgirl is about a set of values, right? It's about living that legendary life. And when you think of the word cowgirl, like C-O-W, it's courage, it's originality, it's worthiness, it's grit. It's resiliency, individuality, I forgot I, but all of these things come together to help you live this legendary life. And one of the things that I really push with my Fancy Lady Cowgirl narrative is that if you wanna wear the hat, wear it. If it brings you joy, if it gives you power, if it makes you feel like you can do legendary things, wear the hat. I don't care if you've never ridden a horse in your life. I don't care if you live in Iowa and you're a farmer, right? And your hat might not look like my hat and that's great. One of the things that is important to me through my Fancy Lady Cowgirl community is to tear down the gates that we have been keeping so tightly shut in agriculture for so many generations. And just like you saying, oh my gosh, I feel silly, it feels like a costume. That's what, we've put that on each other, right? 
like that whole oh no you're a farmer you don't wear that cowboy hat have you do you even own a ranch have you ha, what generate i had someone say you can't wear a cowboy hat until you're ninth generation i'm like what there's these crazy things that people say but i love when i'm in new york city during fashion week and i see a model wearing a cowboy hat and i'm like you know what she probably never seen a cow in her life, but she is representing the cowgirl lifestyle. She's living her own legendary life. And to me, that's what being a cowgirl is about. It's not about a hat. It's not about the horse you rode in and on or didn't ride in on. I think it's, it, it's a mindset. So I just encourage everyone to think of it like that. Being a cowgirl is a mindset. And you don't have to wear a cowboy hat to be a cowgirl either. Like, maybe you hate them and that's fine. I don't know if I answered your question, but I say just wear it. So what you're saying is it's the one time in ag that it's good to leave the gates open instead of shutting them like our father-in-laws do, where it takes literally two people to open the damn thing again? <laughs> yeah. I thought maybe it was just our farm, but I was yeah. at Arlene's house just yesterday, and mm -hmm. it took two of us to open the gate, somebody else had shut. I'm like, you know what? Just leave the damn thing open. Always. Fine. Maybe yeah. not literally, because that's how you end up with <laughs> yeah. lambs but at weird I mean, times, but... Yeah, I think that's something that Katie and I are working hard on too, is that idea that you have to be in the club, that you have to be, have been here for a certain amount of time, you have to do a, a certain thing, you have to do ag a certain way, but there isn't one way. That's the amazing thing about agriculture. And in turn, we're also a parenting podcast, same thing with parenting, right? There's no one way. We've all got different kids, we've all got different livestock, we're all working different land. So there's no one way to do it. And the gatekeeping just, it doesn't serve anybody. It, it, it doesn't help. No. And you know what? No. And I always say agriculture, yep. we are our own worst enemies. But truly. And I bring a unique perspective because I was born in it. I was raised in it. I'm fourth generation. But I have lived in major cities. I've lived in urban cultures. I've lived in other countries. So I've been out of it. And when you get out of it for an extended period of time, like I have, man, you, you see a different perspective. And what I see is that we are so just like trying to keep everything the way it is and not let people who don't look like us, think like us, act like us in that we're just hampering our own growth. And the other thing that kills me about agriculture is we are the first to complain when people don't understand us and don't wanna share our stories and they don't care where their food comes from. And I'm just like silently in the back, like with my hand raised, but no, you weren't, nobody, you weren't willing to tell them. You weren't willing to welcome them in. And so I, that's one of the things I do through my fancy lady cowgirl. It's just like top dollar, it's a perfect example. Nobody ever told those 900,000 people who watched my video what really goes on behind the scenes because nobody was willing to open it up and say, look, here's what we do. Here's a full transparent, here's how it works. Here's the ins and outs. And I think that's something that we need so desperately to do a little better job of in agriculture. And I take a great pride in being able to do that because the way that I help carry on my family's ranching legacy my pappy, who's running, who's calving right now, is not going to be on social media sharing his story. He doesn't even, he calls it the book of faces. It's not Facebook, it's the book of faces. But I may not live on the ranch or the farm or be involved in agriculture, but I can help tell the story. And I think there are so many of us out there, and I think women are very good at it. There's just something about that women have this really beautiful way of telling great stories. 
And so I think there's a lot of us who can still help share the story and open those gates up just a little bit to allow some new people in. Through Fancy Lady Cowgirl, I have truly been astonished, truly, and I don't just say this, I was truly astonished how many people want to maybe wear a cowboy hat. How many people would love to go to a bull riding and see a bull? How many people would love to go to a farm and learn how what they're buying at the grocery store is actually about? People are interested and they do want to learn. Because I think there's this narrative sometimes in agriculture, people just don't get us, they don't care. They're, I don't think that's true. And now more than ever, people want to know who's behind their food. They want to know who's running the businesses that they're spending money at. I think we have this really special opportunity to start sharing the story, but man, I get on social media and I realize I'm saying things like agriculture is their own worst enemy, blah, blah, blah. I'm not hating on agriculture. I show up every day and do what I do because I love this community. It's the people. You don't make people like they do in agriculture anymore, right? Ag kids that are being brought up, they are so gonna be set up for success in anything they want to do because ag kids are raised different. I show up and I preach and I preach and I even get tough on agriculture sometimes because I love agriculture. Because I want to see this cowboy and cowgirl and farmer and whatever you wanna call yourself way of life continue for the next generation and the generation after that. But I think we're gonna to have to do a little better job of sharing the story. For our listeners, Arlene and I look like bobbing head dolls over here about <laughs> this because I think it's so easy in ag to just get pissed off that people believe the animal rights stuff. And I'd be the first one to be concerned about animal welfare, absolutely. But you can't blame people for believing stuff if they're only hearing one side. And if they're not hearing our side, you can't be pissed that they don't just magically, psychically understand it. It's yeah. just, that's not how it works. I, if we're I not was, telling them, somebody else is. Yeah, I know. pulled up a, I wanted to read this because like, oh, you're so right. To prove, you know, the point, I had a comment that I screenshotted on my TikTok because I was like, wow. Even if no one else watched this video, this was worth it. I had this comment that said, thanks for educating us. I am an animal activist. I work with animal rights groups and I always worry about animals being abused. I had no idea. I hope they're all treated this well. That right there was worth me editing that two minute video about my bucking bull. We are, we're so defensive, but sometimes people like that are willing to learn. But I think we just write them off. We're like, oh, they're crazy. Those crazy people, they'll never understand us. Not if we don't give them the opportunity. I think maybe we need to worry more about cowgirl hats, which would just be whatever hat is on the head of the cowgirl, because I see you're wearing a ball cap right now, yep. and less about cowboy hats. Let the yeah. cowboys have their cowboy hats, and the cowgirls <laughs> can just wear whatever the hell they want on top of their heads. Yep. And if they don't want anything on top of their heads, cool. That exactly. might just be your invisible cowboy. For the people who are exactly. already in the advocating space oh. and who are trying to make that change and communicate with people, how do we work on not just talking to each other? Because that's what the ag space sometimes feels like. For those of us who are still on the farm, we want to reach the public. We want to reach people who aren't an egg. But we end up following each other and encouraging other, which is great. But if all of our followers are just 
fellow farmers and ranchers, then it doesn't feel like we're making much progress. Do you have any thoughts on how do we expand our reach? Erlen, yeah. can we just have a moment for the irony that this is three ag podcasters <laughs> not just talking doing to each other? Podcast about not just talking to ag podcasters. <laughs> yes. No, but that's a really great question, and I think it, it starts here. It starts just like this. We talk about it amongst ourselves in agriculture, right? And I think that's great. Fancy lady cowgirl, for example. When that started and when my following started to grow and people started to latch onto that and wanted to be a part of the fancy lady cowgirl community, largely most of them were in the agriculture space, right? Because that was my audience. But as I continued for year after year to share the story and say, wear the hat, wear whatever hat makes you happy. Here's what it really means to be a cowgirl. This is the cowgirl code. Here's how you live legendary. The more I started to share then I started to see the mainstream people start to come in. And I think it's not a bad thing. Advocacy is always good, right? Sharing the story is always good, even if it's agriculture people listening. But what I've discovered, my own personal experience is, you share the story long enough, the mainstream audiences are going to start to come. And now that's one of my big focuses. I'm like, okay, how do I get on stages to do keynotes in front of mainstream audiences? Because I think true advocacy is not advocating to one another, right? We have to be advocating and sharing the story outside of the agriculture community. And people, I say, share the story, and I largely do that on social media, but when I do my keynotes, I always want to point out, I always say things like advocacy might be having a conversation with a mom standing wide-eyed in the grocery store who doesn't know if she should buy the hormone-free or the antibiotic, whatever the hell, stupid labeling that isn't accurate is on the beef, right? That could be advocacy. Go to, your, go to the grocery store in your town or your city, have a conference. And you don't even have to educate. I think sometimes when we hear the word advocacy, we're like, we gotta teach people something. Nah, let's use the grocery store scenario again. You're walking through, just pick something up and say, oh, this is my favorite. I actually know the farmer. I know the farmer who produced this, it's local. Put it in your cart and walk away because that gets the wheels. They're like, wait, what? They, oh my gosh, they know the, this is local? This is, this is actually, raised in my state it doesn't need to be some huge monumental you don't need to launch a brand and a tv show and do be a keynote speaker and all of the things like advocacy can just be as simple as having a conversation with someone and i encourage everyone listening have a conversation this week with someone outside of agriculture just have a conversation with them you don't need to teach them anything people remember how you make them feel they don't remember what you taught them or what data or research or greenhouse gas emissions you, like nobody cares. People remember how you make them feel. So that's my challenge. Talk to somebody outside of agriculture, have a conversation, share a cup of coffee, say hello. So while we're talking about having conversations, and I promise this is gonna circle back around to a point that'll hopefully make some sense. As a blue haired middle-aged white lady, a lot of people are shocked that I love listening to NASCAR, but only on the radio. I would rather be punched in the face than have to watch a race. <laughs> and it is entirely because of the commentators. Because when you listen to NASCAR on the radio, all you're seeing of the cars is when they come back past the mics. And you hear all the engines, maybe you hear a wreck, but that's it. And all you're engaging with is how people are presenting that story. 
So I'm wondering, as a professional commentator, it seems a lot like doing stand-up comedy or improv. There's a lot where you can tell that they're bullshitting because they're on a two-hour rain delay and they're just trying to fill air. But how can we improve? How can mom at the grocery store use some of these skills to really improve how we engage with people? Because it's boring to just be like, greenhouse gases, blah, blah, blah. You know, nobody wants to hear that. You talk yeah. about bull testicles, people want to, <laughs> weirdos like me want to hear that, you know, yeah. but you just talk emissions. Right. I don't even want to talk about that. The next time you're at the grocery store, walk up to someone and say, did you know that they don't tie up bulls nuts? They No, don't do that. No, um, I totally would. That's a good question. Television, we're, obviously we're, I've done everything from hard news to lifestyle and entertainment. It's always like the human interest stories that attract me the most. And I love that you use the sports analogy because I think nobody tells stories as well as sports commentators. I use the Kentucky Derby a lot of times as an example. Short, what is it? I don't even know, two and a half minutes, two minutes, I don't know. It's this short race, right? And you watch these horses run around a track and then it's over, like it's literally over. The Kentucky Derby on NBC starts with four hours of coverage, right? Before this like minute, two minute race that's just instantly over. But I eat up every second of that coverage because just like to your point, they're telling the stories, right? It's like top dollar. They're telling the stories of the horse. You know, the horse, like I I love the story about mind that bird, 50 to one. They roll up to the Kentucky Derby in a horse trailer. They have on cowboy hats, these like, these dudes from New Mexico and NBC is like freaking out. They're like, who the hell are these people? Who are these guys? This is a joke when they're interviewing them because like they look different, whatever. It's a good storyline. Mind that bird goes on to win the Kentucky Derby. They paid 9,000 bucks for that horse as a colt. You know, though, that's why you get invested. Top dollar is a great example. You say, how can we have these conversations? I could do videos about here are the feed rations that we feed our bull because we care for him and we want him to perform. But no, I'm like, this is top dollar. Top dollar loves scratches. Top dollar loves naps. He digs big ass holes in the pasture, which are a pain in the ass, but it's just what he does because he's a bull. I think you have to allow people to form those like personal connections. People feel like they know top dollar personally. It's hilarious. Go to an event or after he bucks it like a PBR, I have DMs and people are like, watch, they're recording their TV like as if I'm not watching it and they're tagging me in it. They're like, oh my God, it's top dollar. And when I think about agriculture and sharing our story, you're like such a beautiful example of this, Kate. Like blue hair, loves NASCAR because you're not the stereotypical, like when people, th- when we see a farmer in a movie or on TV, you know, they've got the piece of straw in their mouth and the over, and you're like, what the hell? And so I think embracing the unexpected is a beautiful way to really form a connection with people. Because Kate, when you walk away, they're going to be like, huh? Who knew? If she can do it, she doesn't look the like I could probably do it too. I'm not sure if I'm answering your question, but I think you have to be able to form those connections and you have to give people permission to ask all the questions, right? I always say there are no dumb questions. I can't tell you how many times 
people will like send me a DM and, or, and say something like, okay, I know this is probably stupid, but like, how do you tell the front of your cowboy hat from the back? Don't tell anyone I asked you. And I'm like, that's not a stupid question. That's a totally valid question. But I always say, I know how to drive a car. I've been driving a car since I was 16 years old. You put me in a NASCAR car, you put me in an F1 car, I would be like, okay, excuse me, are there gas pedals? What are we? And it's, you just don't know what you don't know. And so I think you just have to be willing to answer the questions that might seem silly or mundane. You have to be willing to form a personal connection. People remember how you make them feel. And sometimes that's just being friendly. That's just a hello. I think we get in these big picture in agriculture. We're like, how do we teach the world about what we do? I don't know. Like, maybe we just be nice to each other. Like, why don't we set that example for people? <laughs> now I'm just getting on a rant. So I'll stop and let you continue asking your questions. No, 100% because even as a cattle farmer, I don't give a rat's ass what Top Dollar eats. I'll admit it. <laughs> I'm not going to start feeding my beef cattle what you're feeding your top-of-the-line bucking bull because my cows would get so goddamn fat on what he eats, just guessing that his caloric needs are a little bit different than my mama cows out sitting around in the pasture. But I am very interested in the fact that he digs big goddamn holes. That's interesting to me. And if you t treat somebody like they're stupid for having a question that may very well be stupid... They're going to remember that you made them feel like shit. Yep. That is exactly. And they are not going to come ask you anything else. That is And exactly. so when it's about something more important, quote unquote, than which side of their cowboy hat is the front, they're going to go to whoever they find on Instagram or TikTok or whatever. And mm -hmm. that may not be somebody who's going to give them the, who's not going to have the conversation that we would want them to be having. Let's put right. it that way. Yeah, and you just gotta be kind to people. Even animal rights, obviously as farmers, ranchers, people in agriculture, we battle with that a lot. We're not gonna change most of their minds. But what we can do is either delete the comments or whatever it is on social media and just don't partake. But what I just fires me up is when I see people in agriculture responding with, you dumb SOB, you don't know shit about shit. No, of course they don't, Karen, because all you're doing is fueling the fire with hate. Instead, if you have to comment, say something like, you know what, thank you. I'm so glad that you care about the, the welfare of animals because as a rancher, that's of my utmost priority. I love that we both care about animals and leave it at that. You cannot just attack people with negativity and you can't just attack people with facts and figures and data. Because like you said, people don't give a shit. They are going to remember how you make them feel. And we have to get that through our brains because I just, it makes me so sad to see some of the conversations that are happening online and in person too. People do this shit in person too. And I'm like, oh man, that was not the way to handle that conversation because they're going to walk away not remembering anything you just told them, but they're going to walk away remembering that you were a dick. And then that sets us back another 10 years in the conversation. I have gotten those comments and it is goddamn hard not to come out swinging. Oh, when somebody's, yeah. you're a murderer, you're blah, 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 whatever. But if what they're going to remember is that you're an angry elf who wouldn't talk to them about their actual concerns, and they may have valid concerns, they may come at it in a ridiculous manner. 
but they may it comes from a good place it does it comes from their concern about the animals about our planet about whatever and i think you're absolutely right that we that's my big issue with a lot of the i was just going to say a lot of the conversations about greenhouse gases like farmers get so angry about it but do we not all want the same thing we want a healthy planet for the future generations we don't want to destroy the resources that we have so yes some people are coming after the livestock industry but why not address those concerns rather than just try yeah. and yell out yeah. or get angry about it let's look at the research let's see what we can do let's look at our own industry and make the changes that we can so that then we can say we did these things now how about the other industries rather than just be like not our fault we didn't do it. Someone else is worse off. Let's take accountability for yeah. the things that we can control. And then hopefully other people in other industries well, are going to do the same thing. that's a good things. point, Arlene, because it's not like they're being worried about greenhouse gases because they hate farmers. They're worried about global climate exactly. change because yeah. they don't want to die in a fire or have their home state flooded out or whatever. Like, it's not about us. Yeah. And, you yeah. Know. And the conversations about eating less meat, I think a lot of that comes down to people are looking mm-hmm. for something they can do. What can I do? Yes, I can drive less. Maybe I can t- take less flights, but I'm not going on airplanes every I other am, week. But, like yeah. I'm not, I don't have a private jet. Yeah, for sure. But like the things that people can do on an individual basis, often if you're looking at a news article or watching TV, they're trying to give people ideas of things that they can do to make an impact. And one of the things they suggest is eating less beef. And sure, maybe that's a thing you can do. I don't know that's necessarily the answer, but the media, the news story is trying to give a little mm-hmm. idea, yeah, give a solution. Right. So yeah, if our industry can provide some examples, then we can also yeah, suggest some right. other things. And I love, I love that last line, suggest some other, some other things that you could do or like things that could, people can do on an individual basis. And I'm, I don't say this to like bash anybody advocates because I'm not perfect. I've come a long way in my advocacy journey. I used to be the first person in the comments like, oh yeah, guess what? I was that person. I would fight back. I would post the nasty comments. Like I've evolved. But when you talk about climate change, I think that's a great example about greenhouse gases. I'll see people making these videos and doing things that are like, cows are not the problem. Okay. And that's it. That's the post. I'm like, okay, but you didn't give the mainstream audience what that doesn't move the conversation like you can't just scream cows are not the problem and then show a bunch of airplanes and then not give us any like steps or not give the general population like any sort of like educational component to go with that and that sometimes that's a perfect example of advocating within agriculture right because when you make a little video or whatever and post on your instagram you're like cows are not the problem Who's going to share it? Everybody in agriculture. But are we moving the needle? Are you changing the conversation? No, because it's the people who already are on your side that are just circulating the video. Yeah, you may be getting 100,000 views on your reel and you've got 100,000 followers on TikTok or whatever, but what are you actually teaching people? What are you teaching the people who live in Dallas or New York or in the big cities in Canada? Like, how are we, and that's hard. I'm not saying that it's easy to do because I'm like, how would I make a reel that's like, cows are not the problem, but here's what you can do on a, I, I don't know. I think 
we just have to be a little more intentional maybe with how we're like trying to start conversations and shift narratives. So Courtney, and I'll probably edit this out, but I feel like we need a TikTok series of top dollar, like digging in to climate change with Ooh. his holes. And I'm taking a deep dive into this hole about- <laughs> I love I, it. This could be a whole new series, like top dollar does a yes. deep dive. And it's like some random, like just something random every week. And they're like, what the I would seriously Could be watch anything. the shit out of that because it's boring to talk about climate change. It, it is. We're all going to die. There's no way to fix it. And it's really a lot easier <laughs> to yell cows are not the problem. I and there's know. There's nothing, and nothing we can, we can do. We can yeah. do. It is. And that's just everything. Like to your point, like everything in life. Like I was laughing with my mom this morning. I found this really great protein powder and it's six ingredients and it's like beef bone broth is like how it's made. And my mom's looking at it and we're looking at the macro and we're like, dang, this is really good. This is a great clean. And I said, LOL, they'll probably come out next week that bone broth is killing people because you just can't win. And I think we just have to sort of <laughs> accept that mindset. Like it were, it's all going to come to an end at some point. Like we can do what we can do while we're here. And my mom, when I first started advocating, I would get so worked up and I would take mean things so personally. And I say this to everyone. My mom used to say, Courtney, you cannot single-handedly save the world. And damn, I, damn, I was trying. She would be like, you cannot single-handedly save agriculture. And I was like, by God, I'm going to, I'm going to try. And so I think we have to just remember that it's going to take all of us. We can't single-handedly solve all the problems. Yeah, that's true. So you just segued perfectly into my next question because we are a parenting podcast. So let's talk about your mom. I was listening to your episode on your podcast the other day with your mom. What do you think it was about the way you were raised that gives you the confidence in your, like this, I don't know, this <laughs> fancy cowgirl spirit, right? That that lets you blaze your own path and be yourself. And like, hopefully we can all raise kids who have this kind of enthusiasm yeah. for life. Um, tell us about your mom or tell us about your upbringing mom. and how yeah. they how they helped. I didn't realize it at the time, but like growing up, there was nothing that my mom didn't do. There was nothing. And my mom and dad obviously ran the ranch together, but like my dad has a job outside of the ranch. Like he runs two companies in Kansas City. So he goes to work every day. So it was my mom home pulling calves, riding horses, taking kids, doing places. That was my mom. She was a truck driver, right? Like she was driving us up and down the road to rodeos. And the older I get, now I can look back because people are like, how do you, like, where did you get your confidence from? Like, how come you just think that you can do whatever the hell you want? And I'm like, oh, I don't, I don't know. I just have a lot of courage. And then I like look at my mom and I'm like, oh, <laughs> there it is. When I think of my mom, you know that Shania Twain song that's let's go girls. And like, you see it on TikTok and people are like, every time I hear that, I just want to like, kick a door down. That was my mom. She'd be there just like kicking doors down. We used to always laugh if mom showed up at school. It was about to go down, not because one of the kids was in trouble because she would take care of us at home. But like mom was always there, like she was defending us. She had our backs. She was hard as hell on us. But I think it, it shaped and I say us, I have a little sister. It shaped my sister and I into these like humans who truly think that we can do anything, right? I really believe that I can do whatever I want. It doesn't matter that I'm a woman. It doesn't matter where I came from. And I think that's just how our, my mom raised us. And it wasn't like a sit down lesson, like girls, you can do anything you put your mind to. Like my mother would never, it was just, she showed us. 
she just showed up every day and showed us. And yeah, I'm really, I have a really cool mom. She's a little bit of a loose cannon. Sometimes the things that she posts on Instagram, I'm like, oh my God, please take that off. You have the same last name as me. What are you? She's very political. Very I'm going to censor you now. But like, she just, even like her political posts, I'm a little more like, new. I don't, that's not what my account is about. And she literally, I'm like, mom, why do you keep? And she says, by God, I'm going to take a stand and I'm not going to let them roll over. And But that's how I was raised. She's like, no, if I don't speak up, who will? And I'm like, you go, girl. You speak up. Yeah. You'll get there eventually, probably. As we get older, she I'm sure that our filters helps. come off, right? I see my the way my yeah, grandmothers are. And, <laughs> yeah, like, they don't care anymore. I'm, whatever. I don't care. I'm like, oh, that's clear. Clearly. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Could you change your name on Instagram at least? So I was also looking at your address, your address at the FFA convention and you're talking about and you've talked earlier too about being an egg kid and what that meant. What do you think are the values that our egg kids are bringing out into the world and what is it that's unique about egg kids? I've heard that before and I I know that I've gotten jobs in the past because I was from a farm not because I necessarily had experience, but what is it that that our kids are getting that they can't you know, get other places? almost simple things that I notice the most. And I say that because I was raised in agriculture and I've been out of it. I've been living out of it for over a decade. Little things. Ag kids, when they shake your hand, they shake your hand and they look you in the eye when they do it. Ag kids say, yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. Yes, sir. No, sir. Their word means something. Like in agriculture, when we say we're going to do something, we do it because that's how we were raised. Ag kids are taught to take care of their neighbors and that continues well into their adulthood. It's integrity, it's humility, it's showing up, working hard, understanding the value of hard work, right? Like I had to get out of agriculture to realize that is very rare, right? People don't shake hands anymore. They don't open doors for each other anymore. They don't look each other in the eye. They don't have real conversations anymore. But when I go to an organization like FFA, those kids, I always say after doing the national FFA convention, I am way less worried about the future of agriculture because those kids are top notch. They understand it. They get it. They are sharing agriculture's message. I did a podcast or something or obsession with a couple of them. And I literally was laughing because there were a couple of words that I literally had to look up. I'm like, what did this 16 year old just say to me? They are so just ahead of the curve. They're ahead of their peers who were not raised in that industry because they get up in the mornings before school and they go do chores, right? They come home from school, they do chores, then they go to basketball practice, right? Ag kids aren't sleeping in. Ag kids aren't playing video games because there is work to be done. And that translates into adulthood so beautifully. And it is going to set them up for success, whether they want to work in an office in a high rise in Dallas or they want to run the family ranch. They are going to be so well equipped to do it. So... Another thing that we are always talking about is not just talking about the good stuff because it's easy to be like, it's all going to be great and raising kids on the farm is fantastic and everything's wonderful and beautiful. But we also acknowledge how hard it can be both 
for our kids and for ourselves as parents. So what gaps do you see that ag kids have that as parents we can maybe fill in? Or what are the things that you they're just going to have to learn when they get out there that we can't teach them that that they're not yeah, that's, learning that's a, if they're that's a good on the farm question. or on the ranch? I'm trying to think back to like me. One of the hardest things that I struggled with in my television career was just how mean and nasty people can be, human beings. Because I think in in agriculture, we're surrounded by each other, right? And largely agriculture is made up of really good, honest, hardworking people who have the same set of values. And when I got out into the real world, I was like, holy cow, you want to talk about a lack of values and morals. And I was working in the television and entertainment industry. So I'm seeing it at the highest level, right? At its most heightened form. Because television entertainment, you hear it on the news all the time. It's a shit show. It truly is. I loved telling stories. I loved being a part of the industry. But there was a lot of stuff that went on behind the scenes that I just I just fought back with. I would just get mad because I had never been raised around people who weren't brought up the way that I was brought up. Even in my small town, in my high school, not all of them were ag kids, but like we were still small Midwestern rural America kids. And so when I got out of the real world, it was a little bit of a of an eye opener. And even silly things like, oh, you don't lock your door, your car door in Dallas, Texas. First of all, all your stuff's going to be gone. Second of all, to be a homeless guy in the back seat, like just little things that growing up on like a farmer ranch that we just never had to worry about. And so I think it's really important. And my parents did a great job of this. And it was through agriculture. Like it was going to national junior Angus shows in major cities, places like Indianapolis and these big cities. You can still be involved in agriculture, but you can help get your kids like out into the world a little bit because they need to see the ugly that's out there. They need to see what it's really like in some of these places to one, really appreciate and understand where they came from, but to also be a little more aware. And I don't want to say less trusting, but honestly, like I had to get a little less trusting living in places like New York and Dallas. And like now I go home to the ranch and I pull into my driveway in our like two mile gravel driveway and my car that I drive when you put it in park it automatically unlocks the door and the first thing I do is lock the door and like I do that in my own driveway on the farm in Kansas I'm like what am I doing but that's because I've been conditioned living in these big cities so I think maybe that's a gap just remember to like let your kids get out into the world a little bit let them when they're old enough and you feel comfortable let them go to the city for the day and let them experience what it's like, I guess, in other cultures. Yeah. And I think, too, that it's also important to remember that there's there are people who yeah. don't look like us that oh. are also good. And like that sometimes we can get into this mindset of the good people are from the country and we'll just have to get back to that and keeping our eyes open mm-hmm. to where the good is everywhere else too because there are lots of people who don't look like us who even yeah. if they don't farm or and just travel <laughs> doing I always encourage things. people let your kids travel if they want to travel let them travel maybe it's like across the street maybe it's to the next town but I moved to the Czech Republic on a whim and my parents I don't know if they supported it but they were like okay see you yeah, see you later I've been to I've been to, yeah like I've been to Good 18 luck. countries now all around the world and man you want to talk about a different perspective. 
when you get even outside, and it can be outside of your own county, outside of your own state, maybe even outside of your own country, it just gives you such a different perspective, much to your point. There are incredible people all over the world of all shapes, sizes, colors, religions, like even people that I've met traveling who don't believe in the same God I do or whatever. At the end of the day, we have a lot more in common than we do not. And I think allowing your kids to travel and experience new things is one of the most greatest, it's just one of the greatest gifts that you can give them. Absolutely. So Katie has left us because her laptop died, but we're going to keep going. (laughs) So what have you got in the future? Where, what are you, what else are you working on right now? What are you looking forward to? Can you give us any hints on what's on the horizon? um, We are madly prepping behind the scenes because we, my partner, Kaya Twistleman and I, my Back Road Cowgirls partner. So Back Road Cowgirls is a digital series. It's on YouTube. There's eight episodes out. We're releasing new ones every week. This was like this wild, crazy dream. We were eating pasta and drinking wine one a year ago, almost exactly a year ago in Dallas because Kaya had a, got stranded. Yeah. That's when all the great ideas. That's when all the best ideas come out, right? Over wine and pasta, (laughs) and we were just what? What's the dream? And I said, my dream is to have a TV show. And Kyle's like, I'd like to have a TV show too. And I was like, yeah, I want to show mainstream audiences who we are, who agriculture is. I want to introduce people from all walks of life to the diverse faces of agriculture, right? And Kyle was like, yeah, me too. And we're like, we should do it. So we rented a 2002 Euro van. And in one month, we planned and booked 16 different stories. I had an old DSLR camera. I shoot and edit in my television career, so I know how to shoot and edit. Didn't have great gear, but I was like, I got this old dusty camera. Let's go shoot some stories. And we spent two weeks driving up and down the California coast and in the Central Valley telling stories of people in agriculture from all different walks of life. Like we talked to a farmer in the central coast whose grandfather kind of came over started farming in the central coast during world war ii was sent back to the internment camps died over there but an american family saved the land protected the land and when they the family members came back tom Iketa and his family were able to continue farming so he has this beautiful story about being a japanese american farmer we talked to a rancher in sonoma valley she's this like amazing kick-ass like advocate she's running her own direct beef business she goes to the farmer's market every week and like she's doing all the things and she sits on a bunch of boards like she's just this really like powerful woman in ag and jamie was born deaf and so she's doing all of this with profound hearing loss. We're, we went and talked to a girl outside of one of the big cities in California. We went into San Francisco. Like we were trying to really show that agriculture seeps into all facets of our lives, into all cultures. And so we just told these great stories and it was really fun and we enjoyed it. And we didn't really know what the future was. We're like, I don't know, let's see what happens. Like maybe we'll go to another state next. And we paid for this via a GoFundMe because we had no money. And agriculture stepped up and they're like, hey, like people were giving a 50 bucks, 100 bucks. We had some big donations. And so we had just enough money to do this. And we got an email while we were on the trip from this group that was like, hey, we want to be involved. And I blew it off because I was like, we're already on the trip. Catch us next time. And Kaya. 
yeah, yeah. literally. We already like, paid for the and van. And I was so, like, in, I was shooting editing. Like, I was so in it. So Kaya responded, and we set up a call, and we got back. And it's these two amazing ladies in this amazing company. And they're like, yeah, we want to be involved. So we just announced it, but Simplot Grower Solutions came on. They are now helping us fund a full pilot, a 30-minute pilot that is going to be shot by a production company who we've already hired. We've already got the story. We haven't announced who it is yet, but we're going to do a professional sort of pilot that then we're going to shop out to all the mainstream networks, the streamers. Maybe it'll be on Netflix. Maybe it'll be on HBO Max. Maybe NBC will pick it up for Peacock. Like our goal is to get it on a mainstream streamer because we are trying to bring these stories to mainstream audiences. And so it has just been the wildest, craziest journey. And we didn't have a clue in hell what we were doing. And we just went out and did it. And it's just been incredible to see what's come from it. So that's what we're working on. We're gonna shoot that pilot in the end of April and then continue producing it and telling the story throughout the year. And then hopefully we'll be ready to shop that thing out. Hopefully the next time you talk, you'll be like, Dehoff, as seen on Netflix's or HBO's Backyard Cowgirls. Yeah, yeah, season one available now. That is amazing. Yeah, there's that's the thing about ag is there are mm-hmm. so many stories, right? The ways that people have found agriculture, whether they're first generation or 10th, right? Every mm-hmm. Everyone has a unique story and there's so yeah. much diversity in this industry, which is amazing. So we ask each of our guests this question. And we always ask if you were going to dominate a county, a category at the county fair, what would it be? And you can make up categories to ensure that dominate you are a winner. A category at the county fair. I would dominate the looking good category. Like I look back at some of the outfits that I we showed like steers and stuff at the county fair. And I'm like, wow, that American flag shirt was fierce. Like aggressive yes fierce sure so i think i would dominate the like just the fan i would dominate the fancy lady cowgirl category yes yeah definitely big ribbon fancy glittery ribbon maybe you could design your own so we also always have a cussing and discussing segment. So for listeners, you can send in your submissions to our pipe. Check the show notes for the link, or you can always send us an email at barnyardlanguage at gmail.com, and we will read it out for you. So, mm. Courtney, other than all the things we've already talked about, do you have anything that you are either Gosh, cussing or discussing really tough. I'm always cussing and discussing something. I'm like, what have I cussed and discussed? What have I cussed Something. and discussed? This is so stupid. I cuss, and I cuss this every day. I live in an apartment, right? And it, not a New York City apartment. Like, I've got a little bit of space. It's a one bedroom. It's nice. My bathroom. You cannot open the bathroom drawers if the bathroom door is not completely shut. Because whoever, probably a man, built this stupid bathroom in every morning. And I slam my effing finger in it every morning. And I'm like, I don't know who built this apartment, but this is stupid. So that's what I have been cussing and discussing every morning for the last four years. I'm like, if I, you got to shut the door, then you got to open yeah. the door. Design so yeah, choices. 
That would be super frustrating. So we are recording still in February, although this episode won't come out till spring. So I will have forgotten all about it because my kids will be in school five days a week. But right now I'm cussing snow days because we had one last yeah. week and we had two the week before and we had three, no, two the week before. And there's going to be another big snowstorm tomorrow and it might happen into Friday. So I don't know when my kids are actually going to go to school, like all the days of the week and when I'm actually supposed to do the work that I think I'm going to get oh. done while they're at school. But now, this is not that New York, again. like in Canada, <laughs> sometimes in the U.S., like when I was growing up, if you had snow days, say you had 10 snow days, you had to make those up at the end of the year. Do you have to make up those snow days? Oh, thank our kids it. do not. No, Good. they're just like a freebie. In theory, they're supposed to do online school now because online school is a thing. But in practice, <laughs> it doesn't really happen. Because when we had all, when we were doing months of online mm -hmm. school, everyone had all their devices and everyone was set up for all the things. But it doesn't always work out that way when you're actually supposed Never. to be in school in the building mm -hmm. <laughs> some of the days of the week. Yeah, exactly. So on behalf of Katie and I, thank you so much for joining us today. Can you remind people where they can find you online? We'll include it in the show notes too. Yeah, course, so everything is housed at CourtneyDehoff.com, at CourtneyDehoff on Instagram, CourtneyDehoff on Facebook, CourtneyDehoff on TikTok. If you search my name, it will probably all come up. That's right. We can watch some being formed in the ground. <laughs> thank you so much for yeah, joining us today. It was me. fantastic talking to you. Thank you for joining us on Barnyard Language. If you enjoy the show, we encourage you to support us by becoming a patron. Go to www.patreon.com backslash barnyardlanguage to make a small monthly donation to help cover the costs of making this show. Please rate and review the podcast and follow the show so you never miss an episode. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as Barnyard Language, and on Twitter, we are Barnyard Pod. If you want to connect with other farming families, you can join our private Barnyard Language Facebook group. We are always in search of guests for the podcast. If you or someone you know would like to chat with us, please get in touch. We are a proud member of the Positively Farming Media Podcast Network.